Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Kinky Conversations podcast, where consent is king, pleasure is queen, and exploration of sexual expression is the name of the game. And now for your host, the delicious Zachary Phillips. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jen, a trauma therapist from the United States who's into books, nature, dancing, deep conversations, tarot, astrology, and spooky shit. We talk about all things rope play, and we dive into it, talking about the benefits and the appeal of rope play, both sexually and non-sexually, and dive into the impacts of kink and BDSM on healing for trauma. Jen shares her story of moving away from 30 years of religious, monogamous, vanilla sex into discovering and exploring what has become one of her core interests and activities in rope play. She highlights how how society can shame us into not expressing our totality and how that may limit us both sexually but in all aspects of life. This was a deeply compassionate and empathetic conversation that will provide healing, growth and fun ideas for everyone who listens. I know I got a lot from it, and it's inspired me to look deeper into rope play and shibari, both as a form of sexual expression and connection and play, but also as a form of art in its own right. This was an amazing conversation, one that goes quite deep. I know you're going to get a lot from it. And just remember, stay tuned to the end of the episode, and I'll play you a piece from the book, Kink. Volume one. Well, welcome to the podcast, Jen. I appreciate your time um, in coming in, and yeah, let's let's get into the chatting. What do you think? Absolutely. All right. So, I put out to to the kinky uh, community people um, who wants to jump onto the podcast, and a few people jumped back in, and I've got a, a wall full of people that are keen. Um, you're the first one to book in, so we're going to go um, after this little break I took. So we're going to get straight into it. Okay. On a uh, on Instagram, your your handle is uh, Galaxy Rope. Yes. You um, are a fan of the rope. I am very much a fan of the rope. I'm also very new to the rope and to all things hinky because um, I've been uh, oppressed and in the religious community for most of my life, mm-hmm. about a decade ago, and have explored... BDSM and kink for the last few years and found rope in February. February. So what's that like? 10 months? Eight months? I don't even know, but I'm on it and try to get tied as much as I can. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get into this. You give me a little <laughs> bit of a um, background information, which I'm going gonna, gonna to dig into, but it sounds like you've sort of discovered like a core like, you know, a core memory, a core part of your personality that just wasn't there from, from the past, right? Well, actually, it's always been there. Um, I have been a highly sexual being from a young age and just suppressed it because you're not allowed to... Basically, you'll go to hell if you have intercourse before marriage. Yes. And so I just found all the loopholes, if you will. Ooh, I feel like there's a there's a bit of an explanation here. 
just to, just before we get into that explanation, um, a lot of people that contacted with me and a bunch that have been on the podcast actually that are either already out, um, they will be out by the time this this episode comes out. Many people have that religious upbringing that has stifled them, and then they've you know split either from their partner or from the church or from the family, and they've fallen into BDSM as a way to heal and to sort of like get back that lost time and to express you know what they were actually feeling that whole time you know and it's it's like this sort of like pushed pushed down but you can't you can't like squelch the reality of a person you know like it's you it always was you like you said yeah and so in order to experience sex i got married at 19 not recommended not recommended and um decided to try to open my relationship a couple of years ago and it has not gone well to the same the same person yeah 30 years with the same person so to to be able to um i wouldn't say legally but uh biblically have sex to be able to do it in a way that um didn't cause your soul eternal damnation you decided to marry early potentially with someone that you perhaps shouldn't have. Well, you know, I do have trauma in my background and it made sense to go with a safe, kind person. Mm-hmm. And that worked um, for all intents and purposes for the vanilla life that, you know, I was required to live. You know, um, Oddly, sadly, however you want to put it, you know, it was very vanilla. And when I say that, I mean, no oral sex, missionary position, 30 years. Just to put it bluntly. That is a vanilla ice cream. (laughs) No chalk chips. Super vanilla. Um, Okay, so... Uh, just to to give a visual description um, for the for the audio listeners at home, you've got quite a few tattoos. Is that a new? Uh, is that a new? Uh, <laughs> getting a full reveal of all the tattoos. My goodness. Yeah. Is that a new? Um, and also, if you need to, you can read this because this is a thing. If That's- I'm too much for you, go find less. I love it. So. Are they are they new since since this sort of split into the BDSM or is that is that always been a part of you the tattoos? So I got my first tattoo twenty years ago, and then slowly but surely added a few. But what you see right now has been in the past few years. Hmm. I've got I've got a few full back. Yeah. Um. Um. I just slowly started Medusa on my back. Ooh. You know, villain. If you're going to be a villain, be a villain. I've got Cruella hair. Medu- yeah, I was going to say, you've got, you got the um, the black and white Cruella hair happening. You've got the um, funky blue glasses. It's a good look. I'm I'm loving that look. And um, it almost, if, if I had to guess someone that was the, um, like visually, this is going to be a typecast, but visually the exact opposite of vanilla, I would go, I'll go with yeah. your look. It's, it's sick. I love it. Okay, so... Strictly religious um, upbringing, trauma in the past, vanilla for thirty years. What, what was the impetus to, you know, to change? I suppose, like, where where did that come from? Like you said, it was always there, but if it was always there, 
why why 30 years why not 20 years why not you know where where was that change can you can you pin it down to a moment or just a build up well it would be great if we had just been a part of the church but we worked for the church we were music worship leaders youth pastors college leaders and i was raising children and so you just lived that life and i could say um how it played out for me in 30 years is that i always wanted sex more and that just never came to fruition um until after i tried to open up the marriage and i was exploring things and that brought a new spice to my old relationship however that is just that's kind of where it ends because they still just want all of that sexual energy to be directed one way Hmm. No matter what kind of sexual energy, even energy that I don't even consider sexual energy, sensual, erotic, which I think can be in friendships and and other relationships. It doesn't always have to be um, a sexual relationship or a, you know, I think we limit ourselves when it comes to sensual and erotic experiences to just like um sexual relationships or long-term relationships, friendships and platonic relationships can have that too. hundred percent. Um, I've gone down with my partner, the open poly sort of thing. And, and one of the, one of the reasons was that you can only get so much from one person. One person can only give you a certain slice of life and to expect more from them is sort of unfair, you know, like get what you can and do what you, you connect with. But, you know, if my partner isn't into rope and I push her into rope, like unless she, unless it hits a spark like it has with you, right? right. It's not, you know, it's going to be sort of this resent. If if it is, if there is sort of consent, it will be like resentful consent, or it's like I'm doing this for you. Like that's not, that's not like a like a strong like fuck yeah tie me up right. like a buy in. It's right. like a uh, mm. if you uh, if you have to like you know you can you can spank my butt a little bit if you want to. You don't want that. You want like a like a fuck yes or a, or yeah. a hell no, and then so I can, I can sort of see the logic there, and I, I do agree about the that there is an intimacy that you can get that is outside of sex or separate from sex or as well with sex that goes, you know, to different relationships. So like if I have a female friend and I like compliment her looks, right? That that's a that's just a, such a small thing, but you know some some groups, some people, some partners, some religious organizations would look at that as just, just a compliment as being wrong. You know, that's such a small little thing. Can I go dancing? Can we go out to dinner or lunch together? Can we have a conversation about my feelings? What, at what level does it become iffy, you know? And, and is that, is that a case by case basis? Because there's so many um, constructs and rules, heteronormative, um, things that we've been brought up with that we never question. And we get to question all of that because I do think the narrative by case basis, like for some going out dancing and having fun with a friend, opposite sex, same sex, it doesn't matter. can be great. And in other situations it can 
you know, might lead to something else. And that has to be something you agree with, with your primary partner if you have one. So I, I just don't, we are trapped in our conditioning, regardless of where we live, really, um, unless we challenge it. 100%. There's a narratives that we're given, not even necessarily, like growing up or working for the church, you've got it like fully. My, my partner's a um, the daughter of a priest, but he's like living in another country, you know, <laughs> an Orthodox priest. So yeah. she sort of found her own, her, her own religiosity. But so, you know, I'm, I'm fairly close to it relative to, I suppose, the normal person. But regardless of society, if you're in the West, you've got this Anglo-Christian norm that even if you've never been to a church, even if you're still right, you're still bestowed. You're still, it's still on you. It's, it, it's permeated our culture and we are very strangely both, um, puritanical and we're also, we're heretics because we <laughs> we're lying to ourselves. And then we're also very, uh, you know, exhibitionists at the same time. So it's a very confusing, you know, show us more, cover up, like, you know, the, the debate even on Instagram between a man's nipple and body hair and female's nipple and body hair. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel, I've, I've long thought this, right? We, we get mixed messages from society. And it's sort of like we're trying to like work out from the, the, the society as like almost like a parental figure, like tell us how to act. But society is full of multiple different things. So some people are like, you know, yes, like show, explore, express yourself. And there's like, you know, look at any any modern music video. And it's like, yeah, like yeah. you can really almost say and do anything. But then it's like, no, but in your private life, you know, be with one person. Um, you know, and it's very, very puritanical. And it's sort of like, yeah, it's fucking confusing. And then when you find a space like this one, I mean, I mean, just for me doing this, this stuff that I've done online, this podcast and like the poetry and the um, fiction that I've done, people in my life, like Australia seems to be le more chill than the US, yeah. but like people are like, they're like, oh, you know, check out, you know, like I, I know, like I hear it third hand that people are talking uh -huh. about me in my social group. Yes. Not directly, but it's also like, hang on, this is fucking weird or like, this is odd. And it is yeah. like, I acknowledge that. And why don't you speak with me directly versus, you know, like. Also, good job on the poetry. I'm really appreciating oh. that. I really am. Thank you so much. It's um, there's more coming. Um, I hope to to get an, another kink volume two out. There's a bunch of poetry. I've got like forty poems for it already, but I'm trying to add some uh, short fiction. But the poetry comes, <laughs> but the um, the fiction doesn't. Well, yeah, the coming. poetry that you are putting out actually addresses some of the problems. You know, even in my short experience of wondering if you can find intimacy, vulnerability, and authenticity within the kink community and not just daddy-dom sub-situations that seem to take out some of that or, you know, you seem to have a good balance of what it is to connect as a human and not use BDSM or kink as a way to protect yourself from something. What do you mean by protect yourself? Well, I mean, you can participate 
and all of these kinds of things as a way to escape, like most things, which is just fine. I never shame coping. I don't think that's, I think that's how we get along. But I think that we do a disservice to BDSM and kink if we don't allow for the full spectrum of human experience, which would include connection, vulnerability, and authenticity. And that doesn't necessarily mean with every single person or that you have some sort of deep lifelong connection with every single person. It's just you include the human element in your poetry, right? The mind, um, the soul, the, um, even our traumas. And yet I find that there's a stopping point sometimes in BDSM kink where you can get very, um, you can feel very connected. You can feel a lot of good energy in the room. And then we kind of leave it there and hide behind it rather than allow it to be almost a doorway into exploration of self and connection to other individuals. I mean, I'm, in this because of how I feel it opens us up to different connections. I feel there's a space or a deeper space in this community, but in communities in general of like, like the spiritual, right? Like BDSM is, you know, like just a different way to have sex. If you look at it in like sort of the shallow perspective and a lot of the people in the online community are very, you know, for the, like the, the real extreme ones are just like jumping in your DMs, like, Hey, you know, here's my dick. Like yeah. I get that. And I, you know, it's like, Ugh. um, but like, you know, guys and girls, by the way, yeah. like it's not, it's, it's mainly guys, but some girls will jump in and start being like, Oh, Hey, I'll be your slave. And then you're like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, Oh, are you, are you not, uh, are you not like, you know, strong enough to handle me? It's like, dude, like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> like, what are you even you. talking about? Right. <laughs> but but my, my idea is this, it's like you're in the space to either, you know, like put out the memes and stuff and it's like to, to laugh, to be educated in some capacity or mainly connect. And if you're trying to connect, then it's the, then it's the degree of connection you're looking for. Um, if you enter the DMs and you're looking to get nudes sent to you, I mean, porn's free. So yeah. it's like this, it, there's this weird mental state. So it's like, why, why are you working? So I don't know there must be some sort of um, need that needs to be fulfilled it's like no this person is sending me this pic I, I, i'm not exactly sure because it can't be about the picture right it has to be right. about the the picture being sent but i guess what I'm, what I'm saying on this is there seems to be like a a deeper level of connection that bdsm can open up you know if you're able to explore the depths of pain of submission of yeah. dominance because submission and dominance are both very hard to do well right it's hard it's hard to submit fully but it's also hard to dominate fully sort of people get this this illusion of like you just tell someone what to do and it's like uh, you're holding their trust in your in your hands like you're holding it's it's a weird space um when you think about it it's like the actual to dominate someone is like if you think about it what it means outside of the bdsm context it's quite confronting yes. to any sort of sane or normal person but you know so there's a lot of there's a lot of space for intimacy there and like yes you can do it as like a okay we're going to have sex like a one night stand and maybe that's where the the intimacy sort of ends and fair mm-hmm. enough you can have fun mm-hmm. but like you know if you're to explore like cnc with someone um like that's a like you know and like and if you've got a background in trauma like i've had that experience um with with some people that they wanted to explore that 
and they've got a background in trauma. So now you're sort of playing with sort of like safe therapeutic healing through through CNC. It's like this weird, like deep space. Like that's it a lot. It is. You know? It is a deep space. And that's the thing is that as kinky as I am or as hypersexual as I am, I'm also a nerd about the science of it because all of it is producing chemicals that are being released that are giving us you know, oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine and all these things that are actually good for us. And so every time I'm doing rope, I'm simultaneously, you know, in a predicament and trying to navigate pain, but I'm also paying attention to the art and the science of the person who's tying me. And then as soon as I get into a rope space, whether you sink into it or rope drunk, as they sometimes call it, I'm immediately thinking of the nerdy science of the chemicals that are being released and how therapeutic that has been for me um, since the first time I tied. The first time. Like, I just sunk right into it and was doing, and this is not, you know, something that would happen to everybody but i was doing inner child work and i got let down from that first suspension going what the fuck just happened there and i haven't looked back and not and every experience is different which i do love but i'm always looking at the science of all of this because to me everything's on a spectrum and so you can use it as play you can use it as therapy. You can use it as connection. There's lots of ways to utilize it without limiting it. And I feel like it gets limited to, you know, I mean, I get it because of what we call it. It's about sex. But is it really, is it all about sex? Because it's on a spectrum like everything else see i would argue that people you know based on society back to what we were saying before we put sex as the pinnacle yes right like sex is like oh sex yes you know up high but like it might be about sex in a step but sex might rather than being the end goal it might be the stepping stone towards the end goal like like i've had some great sex but if i if if you had sex with me and that um unlocked trauma healing like like that's better than any orgasm right like maybe not you know what i mean absolutely and that's actually so the over here we call it the judeo-christian culture is what makes all of this so marginalized and so um is that my former partner can only see it through the lens of sex you can only see kink through the lens of yep, sex. All things kink. Rope, all of mm. it. And I argue that all the time. I'm like, you are so sex focused. You have no idea what the scope of any of this can be in your life or in as an experience. And so that that's not something that I, that's not a root that I can dig out because that, I believe comes from a misogynistic, patriarchal, almost like an epigenetic 
link. Just like for me, my own internalized misogyny and patriarchy making me feel guilty or making me feel bad and, you know, having to reclaim words like slut or whore or witch for that matter. And knowing that those are things that are organic and natural and from nature and not, you know, but it, because sex is this big, weird, bad word, unless it's in a certain context, really bugs the shit out of me now. Now I'm just like, you know what? If you're going to make it all about sex or all about whatever, that's, that's on you. There's, there's a lot more to it and we get to choose what kind of experience we want. It's, it's hard because, you know, you want to be able to live a free life and like, you know, the propaganda from America is like, you know, freedom, freedom, freedom. That's like the, the sales pitch of America. Just, just say Hey, the real, the reality that, that I, I, you know, you hear it's like, you know, freedom, all this sort of stuff. It's like, it's all cliche, right? But then I speak to Americans and like, once again, people from the West, but people everywhere, like we're all, we're all like, um, we're all products of our society and, you know, you're never going to feel fully, no matter who you are, like you're always going to feel different from society because you, you know, you won't, you know, you're always going to, there's always going to be differences between you and what everyone thinks. And that's where this sort of friction and sort of socializing and normalizing fits in. It's, I just wonder like how, like obviously the church is very stifling or it has been stifling, but for whatever reason, it has also been very pervasive, right? So it's obviously providing some, like quite significant value to society if that makes sense like for it to i don't know it's, it's sort of like i look at it it's like if it's there it's obviously there is some sort of function self-perpetuating function society does see value in it and there is definitely value down that path but with that sort of positive influence there is also significant negative influence and this sort of back-end guilt and it's like if, if we're all sort of coming to the, the this space and then in the back of our minds, it's like, yeah, but I like to fuck. Like, yeah. how does that, you know, it's yeah. like, Ooh, I just want to, I just want to like, yeah. mm, I'm bad. And but then, then everyone's thinking that same thought, you know? And let's make sure that we make it clear. It's not just men that want to fuck. Women want to as well. And I'm so tired of that. I, and especially shit like, okay, men are microwaves and women are ovens in terms of like turning us on and all this foreplay bullshit, like there are women that can just go. There are women that like quickies. There are women that, I mean, so the, and there are men that desire sex less. There's no, I don't, when we label things like that, course i think it comes from the same it all comes from the same source and you know frigid women and then men that can't control themselves it does us both mm. a disservice men aren't animals that can't be controlled that's ridiculous and women aren't ice queens that never want to have sex that's also ridiculous and yet we ascribe to it and then I think, and I think it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so it grieves me because we, we lose 
the full spectrum of our experience as humans because we ascribe to this bullshit. And, um, yeah, women like to have sex. Sometimes Any, a lot. Anytime there's a label, anytime there's a generalization, you're bound to be making mistakes. It's like the same thing with a mental health diagnosis with a, a gender, um, you know, sort of like slotting in a sexuality slot in anytime you, you slap a label on it, you're going to be wrong. Um, labels are good for, for, for diagnostic purposes or for sort of like, you know, maybe governmental, um, research insurances, they need that, all of that sort of stuff. But from an individualized perspective, it's like, if you say to me, it's like, oh, Hey, you're, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this categories. I'm a straight female that's into this. It's like, okay, but those are, you know, like three, four, five, ten words. Like you could tell me all of these things that you are or that you do. And no matter how long you talk for, it's like, no matter how many labels you give me, it's still not going to be you. You give me one label. I'm like, okay, that's giving me some information, but it doesn't, it's never the true human. And problem is, is we have a tendency as people to, to look at the label and then ascribe judgment. Like it's, it's part of our, you know, part of our brain sort of, um, it saves time, you know, oh, this person is this bam. And that's great and all, and it helps, but it leads to, uh, judgments that are often wrong and those judgments and this is what i've found especially in america over the last several years as we have moved so far from empathy to dehumanization that my mind is blown i can't even i don't recognize what i see anymore and religion has been a big part of it Now, the reason that people ascribe to religion, and I promise you, and it doesn't matter what religion it is, is we want to solve the problem of suffering, and there's no religion that answers that question. Now, I'm one that does not believe there's there's no nobility in suffering. I do not believe that you need to suffer to learn a lesson. Now, what I do believe is because we suffer, and it is what it is, that if we don't alchemize it to learn and grow, then we're going to shrivel up, double down. I call it like that curmudgeon thing, like get off my goddamn lawn kind of person. You know, if we don't stay open and in growth mindset and suffering just happens to be a part of that, then we will lose ourselves and we'll just, Go through the motions. And I have never been that kind of person. And yet I played that part for a long time. Way too long. And I'm kind of pissed about it. I mean, I'm going to be 50 this year. That's that's not a fun place to start over. And not mm. just, I'm not, I'm not ageist. I don't feel 50. Fuck all that. But still, it is the second half of my life. And I lost more than 30 years of experiencing my mind, body, and soul to its fullest because of constructs that served a specific group of people. White men, no offense. And, you know, it's about control. And 
suffering is just something that we will not understand because there's not an answer for it. Oh, there's there's so much to to deconstruct there. Um, you you've said that you're you do trauma therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Or you you are a trauma therapist? Yes, trauma informed therapist. In America, here we have a grassroots um, group called Integrate that has collected from the West Coast to the East Coast practitioners that are trained in trauma informed. Because the question forever has been, what's wrong with you? It's Hmm. the wrong question. It's what happened to you. And it makes a difference, not just in our mental health, but our physical health. Because if doctors ask that, they quit telling people to fucking lose weight. They'd actually pay attention to their trauma history and understand where illness comes from. Because until you give me blood work, you cannot tell me that someone's weight is attributes to their illness. So what happened to us is more relevant than this concept of what's wrong with us. Cause guess what? There's nothing wrong with us. We're not broken. We don't need to be fixed. We have to figure out how to manage life, management, coping. And we can't shame coping because it's what keeps us surviving. So no, I don't want anybody strung out on any kind of, you know, I don't want horrible things to happen to people. But if people survive and they come on the other side to shame how they cope to get there serves no purpose. There's, there's a lot to be said there. I like what you said. You're not broken, but it's like what, what happened to you? Um, are you familiar with um, Dr. Gabor Mate? He recently oh, did a book on the myth of normal. Absolutely. I'm, I'm making my way through that at the moment and I've been listening to him talk on a few podcasts and stuff and his basic premise seems to be it's like, you know, society itself is is broken or has issues that are causing in a variety of different ways, you know, religion, childbirth, financial stress, social media, like just, just every, in every way you could look, point to society and be like, hey, this, is, this isn't normal. So the issues you're facing... Um, you're just trying to like survive in an abnormal in an abnormal yes. um, environment. The, yes. the the monkey that you are can't handle. Like I, I wake every day and I feel stress about money. I feel this sort of low level resting anxiety that just sort of sits there. And it's like I try to point to it, and it's like it's nothing really. But it's like, what if I lose my job? What if this person? And it's all of these little sort of things. And it's like, whereas part of me sort of craves like a, like a problem I can face. Like, it's like, oh, if I was in, you know, back in the day, it's like that, that animal there, if I kill that animal, I get to eat. Like, that's a problem I can manage. It's visual. mm. Well, and the thing is, is (sighs) that we keep talking about fixing a broken system. The system isn't broken. It's, it's working just the way it's supposed to, because if we are unhappy with ourselves, people make money. If we can look at ourselves and find our flaws and fixate on them or relationships. I mean, like I will toss even my profession in there. I practice decolonizing therapy because white men have controlled that as well. The DSM is a book that, you know, everybody wants to diagnose somebody with, um, borderline personality 
Well, before borderline personality, the diagnostic was hysteria. And who got locked up for hysteria? Women. And what was in the DSM not that long ago? Being homosexual, which is not a word that you should be saying anymore, and trans people. That did not get taken out until the last 30 years. So we've got a system that works to make us feel guilty, bad, and then marginalizes the, the what they consider extreme, including queer folk, BDSM, kink, all of these things. See, see, I want to... I want to know because it's like there does seem to be, and there obviously historically has been, you know, the white, um, the white male narrative. But it's not, it's not like there's a bunch of white. Well, maybe, maybe there is, but you know, you know, the the average white male isn't isn't sort of like responsible or doing, you know, like establishing that. So it's like I want to, I want to know, I'm trying to articulate what I'm saying here. I can take it, bring it. No, I'm I'm trying to like, trying to like hit, trying to get what I'm saying because it's like there is a needle to thread here because obviously, you know, there is, you know, historical absolute oppression of, of everyone from that group. Right. The, the, the vast majority of members of that group aren't, you know, like writing the the DSM. They're not the politicians. They're not the ones doing that oppression, but they just happen to be of that same group. So there's, there's, there's something to be said there. And and also, I, I as a secondary thing, I wonder if it's like, for example, you know, like like sadness sells. You know, if you're upset at yourself, it it will sell. If you're if you're not happy with how you look, you can it will sell. Yes. So so then I wonder if it's it's a form of like capitalism itself, as in yep. you know everyone driving down these different paths, and then you collectively look at it as a whole and go, yeah, well, white men are in the vast majority of power positions. <laughs> And that's, you know, based on a historical precedent of, you know, England and then America yeah. sort of spreading their, their hegemony, hegemony. And then, um, and that's sort of, this is sort of where we've landed. And then, you know, the majority of the world just happens to sort of go, oh shit, now we're here. Well, I don't know. And so I will not, and I am very clear on this. We all ride the coattails of this shit. Patriarchy, misogyny, capitalism. Because it's it's the system we're in, mm. and and you know, shame is fuckery. So like, we can't feel shame that we're in a system and we have to participate in a system. I just have to be aware of myself and my own unconscious bias as a white woman, and those are that's for individuals to take care of. I'm not here to point fingers at people, I'm going to point a finger at myself because I know that I have, I will continue to have unexamined bias that will come to the surface as I grow and learn and I'll do the best that I can. But like, and it, and I also believe that it's epigenetic. If you know about epigenetic trauma, you know, there's a lot of epigenetic trauma that runs through all of us in terms of oppression in general. Um, and capitalism is just where we're all stuck. So we have to figure out how to manage that. And it's hard because it's defeating, especially right now. 
So then, if we're talking about about being able to sell right and like back to like the kinky space or yeah. the sort of low level versus high level, if you and I have a deep interpersonal connection, mm-hmm. right? No one's making money off that. Nope. So it's sort of it's not it's not incentivized. Like I, I'm not even convinced. Like it's not it's there's not even this like overarching evil conspiracy. It's just people just want to make money because they have to to survive, right? Right. So it's like how can we you know? And if everyone's pushing down that path, but if we if we can get back to this this connection, this space, this thank you. you yes. Know, how much? How much? Uh, how much does a a typical shibari rope set cost? Right. You know. Um, and then, and then you find, you know, like it, it couldn't be more than, you know, a couple of hundred bucks yeah. you know, plus lessons. And now mm-hmm. you find someone to play with and you're getting into this, um, yeah, rope drunk space with someone. You're exploring your, your, your safety, your, your traumas, your submission, your dominance, your, your art. Yes. Ooh, the art. I love the art of it. All of it's, it. It's, it's. That's not incentivizable. I do. I do want to pull the conversation back to the rope play, um, to this, to the rope drunk. Can you can you um, share on that? What are we talking here? You you get tied up, and you sort of fall. Is it similar to like the subspace sort of concept? It it can be, I believe. I think it it too is along the spectrum depending on who you are tying with. So there's shibari rope, and then there's predicaments or seminawa as they call it where you are more in a space of having to navigate how you're going to manage whatever predicament the river has put you in and then they may shift that transition you into a different shape or adjust a rope and now the pain is somewhere else and you have to figure out if you can sink into that or if you've reached your limit and all of this negotiating internally. And here's the thing that I think is very, very important about rope. Rope isn't a joke. It is serious business. And one of the reasons that it's empowering for me as someone who's come from religion is that if you do not use your voice, you're both in trouble. So if you don't know how to communicate, this feels off. I don't know about this. And when you're training, you know, I know they call them rope bunnies and rope shit like that. But like rope model, rope bottom, you have to be so in tune with your body and yourself and advocacy, advocating for yourself. Because you are not just responsible to yourself you're responsible to the person tying you because they're trusting you to tell them if there's a problem or a suspected problem because you actually want to say something before something gets too far so there's lots of literature on that so that i mean you know i don't have to there's lots of literature on being a rope bottom and the dangers of it so i do want to say that first and foremost that Rope sounds exciting and it's great, but you need to be with someone who knows what the fuck they're doing because injuries happen all the time, even with the best. Okay, so I do want to say that. So what happens with me is that I am, there's a a chemical cocktail that I'm quite aware of and it can 
it runs the spectrum from either I can sink really deep into something almost um, otherworldly where I'm doing kind of deep work at a subconscious level. And then it can be very much from like a pain sensation that you would get from other like BDSM impact play or things like that. And then for me, my response to that is to laugh hysterically. I'm not sure why that's my pain response, but it is, um, is that I just laugh until I'm like, okay, I gotta get let down now. Like I find my limit. So it's a, it's a big range, but one of the things that I love about it is I want to be challenged, not just with pain. I don't want to be challenged with shapes. I want to be challenged with the art of it. I want to be challenged with the eroticism of it. I think there's just like for someone who gave their life to a singular thing, didn't really have hobbies. To find something that I'm very passionate about right now has given me life. And I'm very appreciative of the people willing to participate with me and allow me to be um, a rope bottom. You know, I'm not a spring chicken, but I am here for it. And I'm here to be challenged by it and to grow from it. And also the the connection is wonderful if, if if you're with good people, right? And, you know, you have to pay attention because within the rope community and there are groups that you can join, there are predators just like anywhere else. Um, but uh, when you tie with good people, and again, it's not always about sex, um, it can have a sexual component to it or an erotic component to it. Um, but rope is a lot of things. And um, it just depends on how you're wired, how you're going to experience it. But like, for me, I want to be tied anywhere, everywhere, all the time. Like I could, this could be my full-time job. Although I love being a therapist. Rope is something that has shown me my strengths has also shown a light on my weaknesses in a way that I can actually address them, if that makes sense. It, it does. I, I wanted to sort of dig into a couple of things. I like what you said about how you sort of really have to be able to advocate for yourself, but also you're feeling the different parts of your body to know what you're enjoying, what you're not, where the limits are. Um, just that very fact alone seems very therapeutic for someone that's gone through past trauma or whatever because you're you know, reconnecting to your body in such a strong way it's like oh this is like oh my art you know like body mind body connection gets lost and to to sort of right. reclaim that sounds strong somatic is what we call it in our somatic and the therapeutic community it's very somatic I, I i fully appreciate that as well as the um i suppose the cognitive side of things in terms of articulating where you're at and where you're not um both of those two things together mm, um obviously with trust um yes. and like yeah like you said like every community has good and bad people mm -hmm. um i find an interesting thing like i'm not i haven't got explored rope myself um 
I, I do want to at some stage, but I'm not 100% sure, like, you know, finding a community, finding people, yeah. someone that's interested in doing it, all of that sort of stuff. But I do do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a martial art. And oh, the way I do that so bad. That's my next you'd, step. You'd probably love it um, because there is, it's, there's, there's a lot of analogies. You've got to trust your training partners. It's not at all sexual, obviously. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a fighting style, but you've got to trust your partners and, you know, you, you tap out either verbally or, you know, with your hands when you've had enough. Yep. And over time, you start to learn what's safe and what's not. So when you first start with someone, you get onto their back and you go to do a strangle on them, you go to choke them, and they tap straight away because they're freaking out. Oh, someone's on my back, I'm getting strangled. Or someone's got my arm, they're applying a joint lock, I'm, you know, let go. All power to them. I've been doing that, doing it for about 10 years now. So I very, very, very well know my limits, as in... I know when I'm close to passing out. I, mm. I know when my bones are close to permanent damage. And mm. I've taught myself to accept and embrace non-damaging, non-lethal pain. Um, yes. And there's obviously, I feel like there's a distinct crossover there. And it's like, my, my purpose isn't to, I suppose there is an exploration of it. And I do sort of explore it internally. But the goal is, is like, okay, well, if I can sort of deal with the pain you're giving me, that's that's combat effective. You know, I yes. can, I can then use that to deal with that. Okay. I'm safe. Oh, I need to readjust mm -hmm. using it to, to know where I am relative in a fight situation. Obviously it's, it's different, but is, is there some, does it sound like there's like a crossover here? It's more, it seems rope seems more sort of internal, like as in like sort of you're yes. exploring what you can and cannot do. Um, I, I guess, I guess what I wanted, wanted to sort of dig into this, like sort of relating these analogies, what's, What's the goal of rope? I know that sounds like maybe it's like a, an interesting statement, but let's say you're like, you're tied up and you're feeling that pain. For me, it's like, I'm, I'm not a fan of pain per se, but I like, I want to sort of like, from the martial arts perspective, I feel it. I'm like, okay, I can handle that. It doesn't actually bother me. It's just a sensation. I'm not getting damaged. Mm. So I'm okay to stay here and be safe in my defensive mm. sort of martial arts structure. Mm. But I'm not there just letting someone hurt me or like apply pain to me, non, non damaging pain for the sake of it, if that makes sense. Although I'd have sort of thought about it, like what is actually happening. So there is a bit of sort of an internal investigation, I guess, I guess, yeah. What, what's the, what's the, if it isn't sexual, right? Because obviously you said there's a sexual component and erotic right. component. Can you, can you talk on the non sexual side of things? What do you get from it in that space when it's not sexual? I do want to go down the sexual path as well. Yeah. But yeah. Take, take all of the sex, all of the eroticism out of it. Mm -hmm. Talk to me on that space. Okay. So I'm going to do what we call in therapy self-disclosure. Okay. If you don't mind. Go for so it. part That's of my trauma is weird story, but my dad, you know, my dad was a uh, typical yelly, meanie, you know, abuser. And one of the things that he would do is he would either yank my arm and yank a little child up off the floor. Um, or he, he had these little stub fingers because he got his fingers cut off and a lawnmower at some point and he would jam them in my chest or in my forehead. And okay. so I'm speak, I'm speaking for me. Now I can, I can speak in general for other people about rope too, but from a non-sexual 
component, oddly, and and just for the sake of it, complex trauma actually contributes to a lot of illnesses. Um, if you know the connection between trauma and autoimmune disorders and all these kind of things. And so fibromyalgia, which is nerve pain and all these other things. Well, I, when I'm activated or triggered, I can feel the pain in my arms or my chest as if I were back in that space. Oddly applying the counter pressure and I love compression. So Part of rope is compression, and some people love the compression, so tighter the better. I don't, you know, maybe not everybody loves the compression part. So when I get tied um, at my arms or I get a chest harness and there's good compression, I can feel that release of trauma pain from like a somatic space, and it's very soothing. So that so the physical binds, it's like a big hug almost. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I know. For- See, there's nothing, there's nothing sexual about that per se. Like that's, se- that's like, oh. yeah, like it's not, it's not a sec- that's not a sexual thing at all. It's just, yeah, rope is tied to that sexuality. But if you're, if you're describing like getting joy from a physical sensation, that doesn't, you know, like that's like wearing a, a warm jumper. Would you describe yes. wearing a warm I mean- fleecy, nice thing? As sexual, you wouldn't. No. You could. And one of you the could. things that I loved is that one of um, my riggers would tie a, um, like a chest harness that I could just wear around during the day. And it was very comforting and it was very, um, I mean, it was empowering. There was a little bit of like naughtiness to it just because you're wearing something that people think is naughty. Not that it is, but having that constant pressure that I got to wear as the chest harness was wonderful and therapeutic. And so, you know, and that goes for, you know, I'm talking about my arms and my chest, but I leg compression, all of it, toe rope, hair rope, all of those things provide some form of somatic release that is very therapeutically helpful. And then, you know, I, I can see, be- sorry, just to, just to interject there, I can see an analogy to the martial arts as well. Like people come to train and all of this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. once again, in our society, when do people get to physically contact each other? You know, if you come to a gym, you're on top of each other, you're fighting, you're there, you're talking, you're sweating together, nothing sexual. You just, Wait. it's physical contact, you know? And like, I think a lot of people don't realize that they're part of the benefit is this you know, dopamine or serotonin or whatever, you know, release of having physical contact with someone. It's like where, where, you know, it's, it's, it's like, um, uh, aggressive yoga with one <laughs> another, um, manipulating each other into different body spaces, but you're getting physical contact. And, right. you know, if you, if you don't have a partner, if you don't have a pet, if you live alone, if your job doesn't involve physical contact, when in this world do you get to physically touch someone in a socially acceptable way that isn't sex, right? You just, you just simply don't. And particularly once you're out of like, I'm talking from, from a guy's perspective, once you're out of like high school, um, yes. you know, you, you don't get that sport even, you know, unless yes. you join up and do something. So it's like, you just don't get this. 
I've said it to a few of the guys at the gym and they, they sort of like, you know, the ones that are a bit more accepting of this idea because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, touch, I'm gay. Ugh. Yes. Okay, calm, calm down. It's nothing to do with calm that. Down. Like humans need touch. Like look at monkeys, like monkeys that don't engage with, you know, homosexual same sex behaviors will rough and tumble with right. each other. Like it's a natural animalistic thing. It doesn't make them gay. Like not that that matters, but like, you know, right. if you do think it matters, it's not, you know, but the ones that are receptive to that concept do agree. It's like you get to have physical contact. You get that body pressure. Like I, I do disability support work yeah. um, as my you know main job mm-hmm. as I'm building up all my online stuff. And one of the things that the clients need sometimes is physical pressure. Just yes. like like a like a weighted blanket or a oh, big weighted. hug or yes, you know all of that sort of stuff. And like yep. not just not just the kids or the the adults that are disabled, like humans. You know, sometimes my son's upset and I just, just hug him. I just put him under, under my jumper and just ride him around. like Yes. And oxytocin is powerful and necessary. hundred percent. And you know, what did they, they came out with that little, you know, 20 seconds of a hug to get to the place where that starts to get released into your body. And if you go. Tell me on that. So, you know. No offense to people that do this, but if you give me a hug and you pat me while you're hugging me, go away. <laughs> oh, if yes. I want, I, want the, I want the squeeze, not the rubbing. If you're going to hug me, you're going to hug me. And we're going to sit there for a while because it takes a hot second. About 20 is what they estimate for the oxytocin to start to flow. And if you go back to Gabor Mate and his... Anything that he writes about addiction and mental health is about our loss and lack of connection causing Mm. us this pain. He is big on connection as humans, as a reason for just addiction. And so it grieves me, especially where I live, how polarized we are because it's easier to dehumanize and disconnect. And even after the global pandemic, someone has made the observation that was an opportunity for us to connect better rather than be divided. And yet it's created the opposite effect in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I guess to go back to kink, it's like, kink can't just be about sex. It has to be not that, I don't like demonstrative words like have to or should. I don't ascribe to those. It can be more. It It can can be more. more. And it it probably would be more fulfilling if it was more. I, I look at this podcast as like almost like a sexual microcosm, right? People, yes. you know, people come onto it and, you know, some people are quite nervous beforehand and it's like, I'm sort of asking them to do something that's most likely for a lot of people, not necessarily, but out of their, out of their comfort zone. And it's sort of like, I treat it a little bit like a sexual encounter. We're going to chat, we're going to talk, we're going to yes. connect, right? And it'll build up and, you know, as the, as the, as the, um as the interview goes back and forwards, you get more comfortable. We start yeah. sharing more deeper, yada, yada. 
but like these podcasts in general, right? If like I'm calling it the Kinky Conversation podcast, but we're talking about capitalism. We're talking about yes. your place in the world. We're talking about your history and interspersing it with sexuality. Because it's like, it could be, I could easily do a podcast. I couldn't easily, I couldn't do this myself, <laughs> but it could be done that it's like, oh, hey, jump on, tell me about how you like to fuck. Right. And like, that would be a sort of product that I could see someone doing. And like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, like that is amazing. There was there was a right. person on the podcast, um, I don't think the episode's out yet, um, Quinn, her podcast is her uh, reading um, erotica and like you listen yeah. to it and it's like and like she builds it up she performs it and Love I'm like it. cool this is hot fucking amazing yes um but that's a different space and like you're going there for that space and fuck yeah but f- for, for me I look at it and I'm like okay if I want to have a truly you know a kinky conversation it's like let's let's build up to it let's work towards mm-hmm. it let's do like that sort of thing and get the full the full person because that's mm-hmm. where you know that's that's where I think that there's a lot of depth for that connection mm-hmm. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting any shade on what she's doing. It's like, it's no, fucking amazing. Yeah, and absolutely. it's like, uh, and I'm like, I will you know, continue to push her work because it's beautiful. But it's more that as as a whole space, there's so many different avenues and aspects to it. And it's the whole, the whole person, you know, the she's writing, person. she's writing fiction effectively. But to be able to have a truly kinky conversation, if I wanted to get, you know, to the depths of what you, you personally like mm-hmm. and why you do it. I need to know about your full thing. If I was just to come straight out and be like, "Hey, tell me about how rope gets you off." Yeah. Oh, like, like who, who, who is the person getting off? What do you mean by getting off? Where are we getting? Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's so much more that yeah. you can explore there. That. Oh. <laughs> so I want to tell you a story, just a brief story about a connection that I have with a person, um, because one of so I've discovered several things in my exploratory journey. I'm a masochist. I'm an exhibitionist. Um, so one of the things is that I've had, uh, I don't know, erotic conversations via DMs or whatever. But one is with somebody else who's deconstructed from religion and what's cool about it is because and maybe it's a everybody's different um i have some ability to compartmentalize and i don't you know i think they ascribe that to men a lot of times but like so i can have this kinky really hot conversation with this friend of mine and then hop on the phone and we can talk about our religious trauma and they're married and their partner has a boyfriend and all of this thing. And yet we just enjoy each other's company, but our sexual connection is connecting and play and fun. I don't know how to describe this, but it has its own niche, I guess, where it's a lot of things, but it's connecting. And part of it is. It's connection more than, it's not just about the sex. It's no. the connections that, this is what I was saying before. People put the sex as the peak, but like. Yeah. Like if, if you know, if I have a friend, if you were, you know, close to, to me, like right. geographically perhaps. Right. And we chatted and we connected. We could connect. We could explore. We could have sex. Yes. But like that's, 
it's it's another option of human connection that because it's put on such a pinnacle yes if we were to have sex it would be an option a part of it but it doesn't have to be the the end space per se it's not like doesn't have to be the goal the connection is it's a part of connection and it and it's It's like i love the combo because first of all it's fun we both get shocking right yeah it's it's, it's fun fun it's fun. <laughs> we both get to explore these parts of ourselves that we've repressed for so long. Hmm. Right? Um, talk about naughty things that, you know, or be creative because part of it is this is a creative space too. Like, I don't think people, but, you know, of course we have erotic art, shibari art, but there's an art and a flair to sexting or to, you know, even impact play. Like, what are you going to do next? I mean, you you have to be creative. It's a creative space. Sex is art. Connection as art. Life is art. Thank you. Thank you. Look, you're you're speaking to a poet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I look at this like I'll I'll chat to people, you know, in the DMs and they're sort of, I I regularly get this and it's sort of part of it that saddens me. It's It's like, man, like, I feel safe around you, but I don't feel safe around other people in this space. And I'm like, it's because I'm not like, I don't know I'm treating you as a person first before I treat you as anything else. And like, and it, it's, it's interesting because people in this space, um, you know, particularly, like, and I'll, I will use the generalizations, but particularly people that are more submissive, which is mainly, mainly the feminine, right? Obviously right. broad, broad categories here, but, and a lot of the time people in that category do have past abuse or they've got parental figures that, you know, model certain behaviors obviously very big generalization, but that group of people gravitate towards people that exhibit certain potentially toxic behaviors because they're attracted to it. So there's this, there's this combination of someone who wants to be for lack of a better expression, abused or degraded or hurt like physically, right. Right. Done in the right contexts with people you trust. That's hot done in the right context. That's fun. That's consensual. That's like, like that's fucking amazing, you know, and that's healing. Like we've said, but a lot of the time you get people that are, you know, capable of performing those actions, but they don't have the rest of it to to back up. And that leads to this sort of predatory response. Cause I tell you what, like if you if if someone is in that predatory state and they realize there's a group of vulnerable people that if you tell them to, you know, you know, do this, be my that, act like this, and the person will be like, you know, it's it's hitting this sort of confusing, erotic, vulnerable yeah feeling like home my, my partner it, said something to me that ooh. we we sort of we sort of you know you find people that are similar you know treat you similarly to your parents because you know that feels like love and feels like home even if those behaviors are toxic yep. and then you combine that with this sexual kinky sort of bdsm yep. thing and that's oh it's 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 a it's a recipe for amazing deep fun hot connections or systematic abuse <laughs> you've got a this Will may not be a popular opinion, but I'm going to say it more generally. You can make dogma out of anything. And I have watched through accounts that I follow and things, watch people make either, you know, uh, a dom sub, daddy princess, or whatever, a religion, a dogma. Um, well, it can become like almost like a cult. A cult. If you're, 
a, a cult of a one person, like that sort of narcissistic esh yes. is sort of... But also these willing participants that see themselves as needing to be molded by another person. Hmm. And I, I do my best not to judge what works for a person. I do my best not to judge what works for a person. I do question when we, even though I know that there's, you know, this, like, the sub is really the one with the power, is what they say, you know, in this sub-dom dynamic. But you can lose your voice if you're not careful. I've been there, I've done that. There's an ethical problem here, because how do you, like, you've got to thread that needle, and this is, like, I do believe the sub has the power, ultimately. They set the playground and say, hey, this is where I'm comfortable playing. You can play with me anywhere. But if I say stop, stop, like, you know, I like I like that as an analogy. It's like, you know, you, you tell me where you're comfortable to play. I'm choosing where and what we're doing. With the proviso, you'll tell me when, it, when it's enough, right, as a general analogy. Right. But if it's, yeah, if you're, if you're agreeing to submit to someone, that how, do you, how do you thread the needle between you know, maintaining who and what you are whilst also submitting to the person. It seems like a bit of a paradox there. It does seem um, like a bit of a paradox. And, and and part of it, and this is part of the problem with, you know, dominating. It's like, let's say we're playing together, you and I, and you're like, okay, well, you know, we're comfortable with this and that. But I'm like, like, for me to embrace that fully, I feel like I have to push a little bit. I feel like I have to explore a little bit because otherwise I'm not truly dominating you, you know, because then it's like, now I feel like I want to push your limits a little bit, but not so much that you don't like it. So now I've got to trust that you'll speak back. There's this, oh, the psychology of it's very, um, the psychology of it is fascinating. And I, and I embrace that for a bit. I might embrace it again and found positive things to it and negative things to it. And I couldn't, I haven't made up my mind in terms of, in terms of a lifestyle, because a lot of people adopt it as a lifestyle or just a way to play, right? Like more in a, you know, timed environment, so to speak, versus this is how I live my life 24 seven under lock and key of somebody else. I, I had a lady on the podcast a little while back talking about a 24-7 dob sub relationship. She's also got like hypnotherapy sort of stuff happening as well. Um, and that was the first chance I've had to talk long form with someone about a you know 24-7 dom sub. Um, and she was very open and honest and ethical about it. Um, she being the dominant in this case. Um, and like I liked it. was like it was interesting to look at it from the gender reversed. Mm-hmm. Typical. Um because like, you know, like the narratives pop up, you know, if it is a, a male dominant and a female submissive, there's a lot of that, like, cause it's, it's weird, isn't it? Not we, I don't mean weird in that sense, but it's like, there's a weirdness to it that we have this sort of, you know, new age feminism, you know, female empowerment, yeah. but then you also have this seemingly people wanting to, you know, typically the man masculine is the dominant. Typically the sub is feminine. And both parties like that, but then they sort of don't like there's so there's a lot of conflicting sort of stuff going yeah. on there. And it's because it's like, it's like, no, I want, I want that freedom, but I also want to be in, in certain contexts, I want to be taken con- care of and controlled and dominated. One of the oh. things that I realized in sort of the subspace is, especially as a 
um, over-functioning female who does a lot of emotional labor all their lives is the reprieve from making decisions. Just kind of having a blank space where it's just whatever is up to the dom, like whatever. So there, there was some of that that I could experience. But then there's another part that really resembles religion to me because a lot of religion, especially, well, I'll just go with what I'm familiar with, evangelicalism, is the man basically forms the woman into the godly female she's supposed to be. And I read a lot of sub-language that is very much the same, even capitalizing him in their um, descriptions, yep. where I'm problematic because my hate behavior is so erratic and I have ADHD or I have trauma and daddy knows what's best for me. And that's very much, you know, God knows what's best for me. So, and again, mm. I'm not, I don't, I, what works for somebody, I'm never going to argue, you know, as long as it's not harming anybody else, I don't want to argue that point with them. But I find it very interesting because I'm all, I mean, I'm a social scientist at heart. I nerd out on this shit as much as I enjoy it. And I just find it fascinating because it's no different than subjecting yourself to a religion to tell you how to live and breathe in the world so that you don't have to. Because religion is very black and white and makes things easy. Like there's a checklist, right? Have your quiet time. Go to church every Sunday and life works out. But life's not like that. It's a both and. Everything's both and. And so underneath everything sacred is something profane. And under everything profane is something sacred. I remember the first time I walked into a tattoo parlor because, oh my God, tattoo parlors. And it was just the most sweet, sacred space ever. But everybody thinks it's profane. Go underneath this Catholic church that's so sacred. What we got? We got yep. some abusive bullshit going on. So to dichotomize things doesn't Life is complex. Us. It is very complex. Yeah, I, I, I find that as well. Like the cliche of, of what a tattoo place is before and after. Like... Some, like the tattooist that doesn't, you know, has done the bulk of my work, um, is awesome. She's, yeah. she's a crazy person in the best of ways, right? Yes. And and so much more real, like so much more herself than most people in this world. Like just living her truth, and I fucking love it, right? Like, yes, I'm not going to do the it. things she's doing, but necessarily because it's not my life. It's not something that in, right. in, interests me personally. But I love seeing the human expression that they're doing. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's real. It's beautiful. It's, it is sacred, but not in the, in a, in a different sort of sense in like a, yeah. I don't know, maybe that more uh, like a heathen Wiccan sense as opposed to yes. the, the traditional sacred. Well, I mean, I, I have um, a friend who opened up a, a venue of sorts. That's not a strip club, but there's all kinds of wonderful erotic, um, performances, pole performances, I guess burlesque, things like that. And she was my twerk instructor, if you will. But she also was a stripper at Hustler for a while. And she's a introverted bibliophile. 
this girl read so many books. She was so quiet. We did our classes. She was a great teacher. And then, but she also played rugby for her college. This bitch was a badass. And now she's opened up these, you know, erotic spaces that aren't necessarily exploitive as sometimes people think um, strip clubs may be. I kind of find them neutral. I mean, they didn't do much for me, but you know, she's opened up this space and people get to perform their art in an erotic safe space. And it's beautiful. Um, and we have these assumptions about people and this stripper was not a stripper. She was a person who loved books and to be quiet and to, you know, so it's in the margins where creativity actually thrives. And that's what scares people. And then they double down in their judgment because the mainstream seems so safe, but it lacks creativity. I mean, if you watch any movies that talk about that, you know, there's some movies that start out in black and white and these things transform, it turns into color because creativity is entered. But how did creativity enter? By people breaking the rules. I, I, I love how society um, props up rule breakers as, you know, the cool or the ones to be followed and stuff, but simultaneously doesn't want you to, to break those rules. I've, I've said to my partner, um, you know, I'm a crazy neurotic um erotic uh poet or whatever i am um and it's craziness until it's successful and then it's visionary you know you're crazy yeah. until you've until you're visionary if if i you know if i can you know if i grow the patreon you know support me on patreon um <laughs> if i um if support i sell a bunch patreon. of books support me on patreon um if i if i yeah prove my point um if i if i become successful i.e i can live off my art my poetry this space all of the stuff i'm doing online i'm now visionary and you know, people will come to me for advice and that sort of stuff. And like, you know, like the way that the kinky um, Instagram is growing, I'm already at, I'm getting like 60 to a hundred followers a day. It's fucking ridiculous. Absolutely. Right? It's already going, um, it's already going quite well. Um, I've got the affiliate stuff happening. So selling dildos, it's great. Um, Love it. Yes. Sell the dildos. But sell those dildos. But what I'm getting at is, is if I'm successful in that, now I'm someone that, is to be revered to be followed it's like oh you broke out you did the thing you escaped the trap but until then it's like oh look at zach writing that erotic poetry isn't that oh. fucking weird he's talking about you know it's it's this this shame until i've made it so it's like not only do i have to fight against my own self-worth and self-doubt that's funded by these pre-narratives and past yes. trauma and all that sort of stuff i have to sort of push back against apathy not not necessarily like people's trying to stop me maybe that's a function of my white maleness but <laughs> because i'm free to try um but i still have to push back against apathy um and you know the, the the societal norms and people just not getting it you know it's like people aren't throwing down the doors that i know to be like hey like how can i help you that's fucking amazing they're like Ugh. but i know and like the more successful i'm getting and i've got very limited success now but the more success that i do get the more people will start to be sort of see it as an inevitability that of course it would be successful it's like you look at the um you look at your post fact yeah. and go all the people that you see that are successful. It's like, of course it would work. It's like, well, at right. the time they didn't know it was going to work. You know, you're just seeing it after the fact when they are successful. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is like on the artistic expression side of things, 
oh, you've got to, yeah, it's in it's in those margins. It's in the margins where art artist artistic expression will happen to its purest. And then if it becomes too successful, then it becomes mainstream. <laughs> mm-hmm. And here, here's something that I do want to, one of the hardest things, and I, I, maybe it's, and you can speak to it as a male, but um, to have, and I think it's easier for younger women who kind of start out this way, you know, OnlyFans wasn't around when I was growing up, is that you really are demonized fully when you embrace your full self, sexuality included. And when you embrace that part in a bold way, um, at least in America, that is shamed and shamed hard. And so when I live in this space, I'm living in the tension between trying to embrace who I am fully, but being triggered and, um, um, the other words I'm lost, but, um, I get triggered and, and then I have to, I feel like I'm having to choose, right? That I Acceptance don't have the freedom or... to fully embrace with, without being activated because of a trigger. Because somebody thinks you're a slut, you're a whore, you're breaking up your family, or that you're um, exploring your sexual side and you're too old for that. Or um, that's... Who very... else can you be other than yourself? You know, like it's... Who else can you be other than yourself? Right. There's no, there's no one else you can be. No. And to live that false life is, is death by you know a thousand cuts, as opposed to you know like you embrace your truth and people will judge. And it's sort of like you have to choose between those two things, and it's, it's never easy, right? It's never easy, and for women, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm speaking to women of a certain age. I don't know. It can be a very lonely place. I think, I think what you're feeling would be felt like everything's a spectrum and there'll be, you know, Mm -hmm. certain, certain, um, certain genders, certain religions, certain ethnicities, certain people that will feel it more than others of having to fit a certain typecast or escape a certain typecast, but you can't live in a society without feeling pressure to conform. Yes. Right. Like simply put, no matter who you are now, there will be freedom for more people for some, for some groups and less for others. Um, and depending on where you live geographically as well, like, I, you know, once again, I'm not on the ground in America, but it sounds like certain places for certain ethnicities and genders and sexualities are really very hard to live, whereas other places seem a bit more liberal and accepting. But no matter where you're living and who you are, there will be a feeling like you need to conform, you know, like if yeah. if, if if the main structure of society is based around marriage between a man and a woman, even if there is, you know, gay marriage is legal, you're still going to like, there's still going to be like, oh, you're you're married to a, to some, Oh, you're married. You're you're in a gay marriage. You know, like it's still going to be highlighted as as an oddity because it is not normal. I mean, the fact that you've got tattoos like all over you, right. Right. will single you out as someone that's not from the, you know, like that's not a normal thing, you know? And like, it's yeah. And there's that, that you, do you shrink or do you grow from, from that, that attention? And like, I, you want to shrink to like sort of hide, but like, I think that's like, 
that's not power. Like that you're not embracing your power and it's going to be, it's going to be hard to exist in this world ongoing forever. If you, if you fall to that pressure and shrink, not say like, you know, it's a survival mechanism. And like, I had to do that growing up to just survive yes. trauma and abuse and neglect. And yep. people do, you know, survive. You have to survive before you can thrive. But if you're only surviving, sometimes you've got to risk a bit of that, that judgment, that persecution, the, and that the, the words can terrify some people in the fear of being alone or abandoned. And I want to just say in general to all of us that live in that space, even if we only live in it at times, is that we're not alone. And we can find our people if, if we're willing to take that risk. And I know it's scary as hell, but liberation and authenticity and vulnerability are a strength, not a weakness. That's, that's what I'm trying to do with this space online, this podcast, the Instagram channel, all my stuff is like, hey, like this is real. Real people are real real connection is real. What you're feeling is real. You yes. know, and it's, you aren't alone. It's hard, it's hard to, you know, I feel quite lonely myself because it is, you know, going down this path is, is sort of isolating and you, you, but that's, I suppose one of the, the boons, hidden boons of the internet age is that yeah. you can find people maybe not in your own local community. And like, ideally you find people in real life that you can connect to and not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, if you come across this podcast and you're like, hey, like these people are talking some of my truths or if yeah. you come across like the poetry that I'm writing and you're like, okay, I'm connecting with this. The thing is, is if you're feeling it, other people have felt it. You know, like yes. you you are individual, but you're not that individual to think that you're having thoughts and feelings that are completely outside of the norm. Yeah. Like they might be informed by unique circumstances. They are, but your feelings down all of these different paths will be similarly felt. And perhaps you can find that connection, like you said, with your friend that you've um, had some fun, fun DM sexy right. play, and then you can talk about your your uh, religious, yeah, <laughs> religious traumas afterwards. It's like, yeah, right. you, you will find a deep connection down that path. Well, you know, despite what society says, there's value and expansion in kink and BDSM experiences. hundred percent. Expansion is about growth mindset. It's about, and that doesn't mean everybody has to be in the kink or BDSM. It's really just anything that is shamed into the margins. And you got to find you get to find your thing. You get to find the thing that um, ignites you and makes you feel alive. And for me, I, it was rope. And for me, I look at it like a personality thing. You fit, like you know, you might find that like, oh, this hobby is great, or this you know type of dress is great. It's like, well, this this aspect of kink is great. Mm-hmm. So like, people ask me what what my kink is, and it's like, well you know, or what, what anyone's kink is. And it's like, yeah, this is, you're sort of discovering another aspect of your personality that was hidden. Um, Maybe, you know, you've, you've described a a few different things that you like in this interview and there's obviously more to it, but it's like, it's an, if you don't explore those or discover that's an aspect of you that is being hidden. That's an aspect of you that's not being expressed and, and, and 
given given light. It's just yeah, there is that shame to it. Mm-hmm. I think I think also beyond that, it's if you haven't, it's it's like someone that doesn't have a hobby. It's like all their life is work, or all their life is you know down one part. It's like it adds character and dynamicness to the person. It's just another. It's like it's like another aspect of that it's like oh this is your work life this is your home life this is your kink life this is your hobby yes. life this is your food life this you know it's just another part of that puzzle that if you don't integrate yeah in, yeah integrate like the cake's not can't be fully created right. if you don't put in the flour right and maybe mm-hmm. you know and like I think I think kinkiness itself gets a bad name like the stuff that you're you're talking about with rope is like you know quite extreme quote unquote for from a vanilla perspective right but like if you're if you're into you might you know have this sort of like this 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 idea of like oh having sex outside mm-hmm. you know or you might just like just a sneaky little touch like that sneaky. might be all you're okay with that's just a little it's so fun yeah <laughs> that it doesn't so have fun. to it doesn't have to be so extreme that you're like okay you're in the middle of a park <laughs> in front of hundreds of people fucking um for everyone to see like it right. could just be like you know a little sneaky even just kissing in public yes. right that might be erotic enough hands under clothes are always fun that's just fun <laughs> i i do want to um we are coming up on time but yep. i do want to ask because we haven't tied this loop off and it might be a good loop to end it on a, a sexy loop share with me the the sexual side of rope play because for someone that hasn't done it right you see the pictures of people tied up uh most of the time they're either nude or they're in sort of like scantily clad um but then you talk about, you know, the sexual side of things. Are you being rigged up and touched and played with and sort of having sex? Are you using it as foreplay? Are you using it as, like, how how are we using it as sort of like a, a dom-sub sort of thing of like a control sort of thing? Like, obviously, you can speak to your experience or speak to the experience that you've seen being, you know, deep into that community or, you know, the as far as you're in. But, like... How how is it now sexual? We've talked about the the way that it's not sexual and it's healing, it's therapeutic. Yes. How does it get you off? All right. So all of the above in terms of what you said in terms of so the so it used to be a form of Japanese torture, and then it and then it transitioned into this art form and this um, sexual play, which included the seminawa, but also a form of humiliation, exposure. I would encourage anybody to go and look up readings around people that write about Shibari rope because it's actually fascinatingly beautiful because the there's a psychological component to, you know, like when you see and they expose the breasts or they put you in a, um, in a tie that's, you know, somehow exposing or they rip the underwear down. There's like some sort of humiliation, but there's a point to it to to bring you beyond the ego, right? So then there's nothing left. The sexual part of it is, and you just have to talk to individuals. Okay. But like for me at this point, as soon as I hear that rope slap on a mat, I'm done. Especially if it's with somebody that has really good sexual energy. Now I can tie with some people where it's just fun, like, but when it's in an erotic space and then they pull that rope across your body or they 
you know, pull it and then pull you towards them in a um, almost a forceful way. So that would be like almost a dom sub feel. But there's this combination that I, it's hard to describe sometimes of somebody being in charge of your body in a way that's very erotic and they know what they're doing. So again, people that are trained in this kind of stuff and based on your agreements, like that's not automatic that rope and sexual play go together, but you can definitely, if that's how somebody, um, if that's an option within somebody that is a rigor, you can negotiate that. I like to negotiate that because it's, it's fun in the best kind of way. And it's a sexual experience that transcends other sexual experiences I've had. Um, and again, it's hard to describe because you've got a lot of chemicals going on and you're still trying to manage pain versus pleasure or they're one in the same sometimes. And after if you're, if you're in pain whilst, if you're in pain whilst you're receiving that sexual pleasure, it's like, surely that like will put, you know, the, 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 the frontal cortex, the, the deciding sort of anxious sort of stuff to the side, because you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with pleasure, you're dealing with this position. And it just might be, that might be enough to sort of get you out of your way, out of your own way into that, that pleasure space. But to have a trained and good rigor is, especially when it comes to sexual play, is really important because they know how to pull the rope, how to um, use their body as a brace as you're being kind of tossed back and forth. And all of that is a very wonderful erotic build. And then if you want to go so far as to be tied in a position that's say fuckable, that's also an option. So I, I like to get into the practicalities of things just because you know, all of these different things are, there's a, there's a practical side of things that I'm imagining here. You might be rigged up suspended um, and you can play with different positions. You might be rigged to a structure on the ground or the bed, or you might just be rigged to yourself. Is that mm-hmm. sort of, where we're sitting here mm-hmm. and then upon negotiation you've decided okay we can take this further than just the straight rope play and usually a lot of times and... that's negotiated ahead of time if necessary mm-hmm. um and because within depending on what the ties about you do transition in your ties there's floor ties there's partials there's full suspension and you can negotiate anything between that floor tie all the way up to suspension. Um, and it's not always, of course, intercourse. It can just be physical play with touch. And I mean, you can add all kinds of impact play to that as well. It's a lovely combination, I'll say. Mm. I feel like there's a level of depth to this that you could just explore down different variations and stuff. Absolutely. Like, I, Wax. My... Oh yeah, no, I can I can I can picture you know like suspension play with different sexual positions and acts and 
there's a whole variety of things I could imagine a um, like a dom sub sub slave sort of situation where you've got them tied in a certain position. The humiliation pay if that's your play if that's your if that's your thing or the pain play. Um, punishment like there's there's so many different things that you could potentially go with. There's yeah the level of um, expertise would be necessary because to me it's like not to me but like someone someone starting out you might be thinking like I could just tie someone up yeah you, you probably can't like realistically like I've I've tried to tie someone up before I have no skill and it didn't end well I had to untie them because they you know were losing circulation so obviously talking about it and we didn't know what we were doing other than like hey let's just make sure we're safe all good riggers have scissors at the ready 100 percent. we did we did not have scissors we were just we were just it's like oh this will be fun um and then and then then you go the the other side of things and you tie them up loosely and shitly and they're not tied up it's just pretendies and that's not fun either well i will tell you one of my funnest was not one of my more fun ties i've had two very well i've had more than two but was just being tied to a bench and double topped with a flogger that was fun lovely lovely oh there's there's so many aspects of this i like the um some of the artistry you get as well like there's um you know i'll I'll put a link to um your instagram and people can see some of the um the photos and stuff yeah, that you've absolutely. got absolutely you share photos of yourself and i think you share a bunch of photos of other people that yeah. it's and it's just it's it's art like it is, it is art. sexual like i look at it and i'm like oh there's there's a naked lady right but that's like it's almost like the canvas as opposed to, like, the body isn't the drawing. The the, yes. the the body is the canvas to the drawing, which is the the rope around the body. Yep. That That's sort of where I'm looking at it. Or, like, you know, I've got this old school book called The Art of Yoga, and it's mm. this, it's like 1920s or some ridiculously <laughs> old sort of situation. Yeah. Um, and it's this guy putting himself into different positions. And then I found, maybe it's a bit later on, I found a video of this guy doing it. And like when you think of yoga, you think of just like you know whatever you think of. But right. he his philosophy was to make the physical body yoga poses as an as an artistic expression. And then you watch him, and you sort of just you know the, this performance went yeah. for like twenty minutes, and he's just putting himself into different positions, just solo. And I'm like, holy shit, this is art. It's art like it I've is. not seen before. But he he was like this renowned yoga dude. I'll I'll put a link to this. I'll put a link to the Gabriel Mate book. Um yes. maybe you could send me a link for a um like one recommended uh Shibari reading book like you Oh absolutely you, you, if you can link me to that I'll put links down to this I'll put this 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 art of yoga book as well but because it's fascinating. You're like you're seeing this artistic expression of the body and I don't know like I love I love watching art of things that I just have no no knowledge of. Like I like watching skateboarding videos. Right? I've I haven't tried a skateboard since I was like 12 right. and I sucked and I put it, put it away. But like, I'm like far out. There's an artistry to this, you know, the look of the skater, the music, the, the, you know, the whole vibe to it. I'm not a part of it at all, but I can appreciate that art. Mm. Something like Shibari. There is, you've inspired me. I want to, um, I want to look into it a bit more and maybe find someone that'll uh, go down that path. Well, I am hoping to travel to Australia so that I can go to Adelaide studio and be tied because I am, I have developed friendships overseas this way with overseas rope tops and bottoms and um, Adelaide is a wonderful community of um, riggers and bottoms and models and really Adelaide I 
dream of coming over there and spending at least a week, if not two, just to get the shit tied up. Let me know when you're coming down and shoot me a message. Um, I don't live in Adelaide. I live in another state. Yeah. Just from the, um, for everyone else listening at home, you're probably the first person ever to like desire to go to Adelaide as a holiday. <laughs> um, no offense to Adelaideans. Um, <laughs> you know it. We know it. Like people are going to the, going to Queensland. They're not going. <laughs> we need That's to get hilarious. Adelaide on the map. Maybe that, maybe they should um, put that as their marketing thing. It's like, look, we don't have the best, uh, we're not like, we're not a tropical part of Australia. We're not like, we don't have, you know, our city's quite small. Like there's not much going on, but we'll tie the shit out of you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get some Adelaide hate, but look, look, we, you all know it. Okay. Just, just calm down Adelaide, except like now, now, now you've got me inspired. Maybe, maybe a trip to Adelaide will be, um. Hey, look, <laughs> they do the performances cut. that are so hot. I can't even, so. <sighs> You've got, you've got me thinking now. I'm so curious. I, I, you've, you've taught me something about my country that I'm um I'm a bit shocked and surprised about. I'll go to Adelaide and there'll just be this massive oh rope God. tying community. <laughs> I I really appreciate your time jumping on the podcast. I want to give you an opportunity. Is there any loose ends that we haven't tied off? Is there anything that you wanted to double down upon or sort of uh you know finish off or anything like that that we haven't quite um tied the knot on, so to speak? Pun intended. <laughs> that was awesome. Not necessarily. I will say, I love that you have this podcast. And I, the only thing that I can say that I wish for everybody is that that they allow themselves to be their full expression of themselves without shame and without fear, which is fucking difficult to do, but worth it. No shame. I like that. Full embracing of yourself, vulnerability, open, honest expression. Okay, so I am. I am. Uh, I did say we'll close off the conversation, but I do want to ask you one question. Yeah. Being our true self without shame requires us understanding our true self, and to me, that feels like a journey of continual, continual journey. Like you, you said, you took thirty years to get to this space, and like that sort of lost time. Yeah. But the other argument is, is like you might have needed that time to be able to like you know things happen when they happen, sort of thing. And like it's very fatalistic. I'm not sure if I fully agree down that path, but but like. I guess like I'm discovering aspects of myself, the more I go, you know, like I'm good and bad things that I like and dislike and my own truth. So, so I guess it's like, I want to embrace my truth without shame, but the more I uncover of myself, it's like, Oh, here's a new thing I need to look at and investigate and accept. And like some of that, some of those realizations come with shame. So I guess, I guess maybe the, um, the final thing we can sort of touch upon is, is how do you, how do you discover who you are truly? I mean, <laughs> these are the deep questions, right? Yeah. It's the, uh, the kinky conversations podcast, but there is that level of um, spirituality, deep spirituality that this yes. stuff brings up. But how, how do you, you know, in order to not be ashamed about yourself, you have to sort of discover yourself. You have to be open. Like you had to be open to trying that rigging for the first time to fall into that like rope drunk space to, to go down this path to like, you know, to, to end up coming to Adelaide to be tied up. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's your gut. As soon as I saw it, I knew it was for me. And then I pursued it. And I didn't even know that the rigor that I had seen lived in my area, but they did. So here's the thing. Shit. This is the science of it. And I don't work off shit unless it's got some science to back it. And I know science is changing all the time, too. Shame shuts down the growth centers of the brain. Self-compassion and being gentle with yourself 
opens you up to be able to live in growth mindset. So shame will always stop you in your tracks, paralyze you. Um, it serves no purpose. First of all, it's man-made. It's not real because here's what's real. If you've done something to harm somebody, you have remorse and you can make repair. That's concrete. That's something you can do something about. Shame just floats around making you feel like a piece of shit. It serves mm. no purpose. But it literally shuts down the growth centers of the brain. And so to understand fundamentally, we are good at the core of our being. And like all that. we're doing is uncovering that goodness day by day. And that goodness may include kinky shit. And you may think you might be interested in something and then decide you're not. See this, there's this, there's no, there's no endpoint. There's no healed. The journey is always ongoing. You're always healing. You're always growing. You're always learning. So there's not an endpoint to find. So when everybody's like, who am I? Well, that's fluid as it should mm. be. Because, you know, you can eat, you know, ice cream for two years every single day. And then one day be like, I don't really feel like ice cream anymore. So, so, so be, be open. open, be open to it and try Ooh. as opposed to, so I guess... I guess it's that leaning into potentially leaning into the things that sort of you might fear or you might be a bit questioning, but like, you know, that there's, there's a little spark there. Trust that spark and sort of look into it. Cause you can always, you can always change your mind a bit later on if you don't like it. Because here's the thing. There's nothing to be ashamed about being human. We're just human and complex. Mm -hmm. We're not bad at our core. We're human and we're complex and when we give ourselves that space to be human and complex, we don't have to nitpick ourselves into these places of shame and depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying we cause that because that shit's chemical too, but we don't do ourselves favors when we are constantly in a place. Here's the deal. Look it up. You can shit talk a plant and kill it. That's at a cellular level. This plant gets light and food just like the other plant that you're like, ooh, lovey-dovey plant. If you can kill a plant at a cellular level by the way that you talk to it, imagine what happens to us at a cellular level when our inner dialogue is nothing but shame. So I'm just saying, mm -hmm. allow yourself to come to life by not getting in your own way with this idea that somehow, someway you're bad because you're not. Not because of how you think or not because of what you're, you know, like curious about or even not because of your that kicks. You're, you're just not. Yeah. I, I view that. It's like, I, I might not have the kink that you have, but I accept it provided it's, you know, informed enthusiastic consent, right. provided it's not hurting anyone right. externally. You do you fucking live that life. Like that. there's, there's things that people will connect with me in, in the social and I'm like, mm, it's not for me, but mm -hmm provider's got those things fucking all power to it you're not abnormal no. just because i don't like it doesn't mean it's wrong no. it just means that you found something that you like enjoy so when you're gentle and kind with yourself you're able to move into those spaces of growth and 
and exploration that maybe you wouldn't have under the guise of shame. I like that. I think that's that's a great endpoint. Uh, <laughs> self acceptance. Yes, absolutely. Radical. A, self acceptance. Radical self acceptance. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Obnoxiously self accepting. Obnoxious. <laughs> I accept myself obnoxiously. Look at me go. <laughs> I love it. No worries. I really appreciate your time on the podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on. Um, like I said, people can find a link to, to get a visual on, on what you're doing and the whole look and the ropes and that sort of stuff. See some of the art that you've got going on. Um, head to Adelaide if you're keen on the... Yes, I am. On the, on the rope play. Let me know when you're doing that. And if, yeah, if you, like I said, um, I'll put the links to the Gable Mate, the Art of Yoga and the Shibari book. Link me to the to your best bet and um, we, can get, we can get people... Uh, educated and hopefully you know maybe it'll convert a couple of people to at least give it a try yes you know because who knows you might you might fall into this and just absolutely like this is your thing mm-hmm. imagine if shibari rope play was your thing and you know you waited you waited and you waited yeah. you could have 10 20 more years of fun you know think of the funnest thing you're doing imagine if you didn't have that until 20 years from now mm-hmm. do it now thank you thank you so much thank you so much it was a joy I want to give a super special thank you for Jen for jumping onto the podcast today. I learned a lot. It's inspired me to look into shibari and rope play and the analogy between, well, the similarities between jujitsu and rope play in terms of the inner work and the pain and the understanding of the self and the healing is curious to me. When that's combined with kink and expression in this community, well, there's something to be said there, isn't there? So I'm going to look into that. I also appreciate the deep focus on overcoming shame, of moving on, of self-acceptance, of finding things that you like, of being your total truth, both sexually, kink-wise, BDSM-wise, but more importantly, life-wise. The more I do this podcast, the more I'm convinced that sexual health is mental health, is spiritual health is physical health. It's all interconnected. So thank you so much for jumping onto the podcast. If you want to connect with Jen, I've put her link, I've put the links to her social media in the show notes, as well as links to the books that were mentioned throughout. If you'd like to support this podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. The absolute best is to give it a rate and review and tell someone about it. Let's grow this community. You could also consider grabbing a copy of Kink Volume 1. It's out now as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And it's a collection of kinky and BDSM inspired short fiction and poetry. The ebook is only a couple of bucks, and I narrate the audio. You could also consider joining the Patreon. Patreon supporters on the $5 per month tier get early access to all episodes, behind the scenes footage, exclusive access to the Discord channel so you can connect with me and other members as well as exclusive access to the Sultry Sound Bites, which are two to 10 minute musings on sex and sexuality that you can't find anywhere else. If you're in need of any sort of toys or pleasure objects, head over to honeyplaybox.com and use the coupon code KINKY at checkout for 20% off. And I'll put a link down in the show notes for the Patreon and the Honey Playbox link so you can grab yourself those. And now, I'll leave you with a piece from the book, Kink, Volume 1. Enjoy. It's not you, it's me.
the fucking asshole just broke up with me two hours before my shift. And here I was, thinking it was all going well. He actually said the words, it's not you, it's me. Like those sounds actually came out of his stupid mouth. Asshole. Unfortunately, a month later, there was a party. Hosted by the one mutual friend who hadn't chosen sides. My side, that is. And insisted on inviting us both. So of course, I turned my outfit all the way up that night. Heels, perfume, red lipstick, and that lacy choker chain that I knew drove him wild. I planned to find someone I'd never met before, and, well, seduce him. But it didn't quite go that way. I've always been a sucker for shots. I can't say no to the first, and well, once I begin, I can't help but go for glory. On the one hand, I did make out with a few cuties, but unfortunately, it was never in front of him. After a few, I found myself alone by the fire. Not going to lie, my head was spinning. Then he approached, offering a cup of water. I threw it in his face and slapped him hard. I let him know in no uncertain terms what specific features of the typical asshole he exhibited. Apologising, he pulled out a second glass from behind his back, saying, I'm sorry. I suggest drinking this one, but by all means, throw it as well. We both know I deserve it. We got talking. He got vulnerable. He opened up. He cried. It really was him and not me. I knew he had a fucked up past, but not the extent. He told me how my advances had scared him. He even told me the specific moment that he had internally broken, when the switch inside had decided to trigger itself and turn my label from fun into threat. I had just given him a t-shirt with the words, save water, shower together, printed on it. One of the jokes we flirted about before we got together, before we saved water together. He apologised again, letting me know how sorry he was for what he'd done, or more specifically, how he'd done it. Well, that combo certainly sobered me. So, I got back on the shots and danced some more. But I couldn't get him out of my mind. Later on, we were the last to head back outside. We were sitting on camp chairs on the blind side of the fire. We could see into the house, but were, for all intents and purposes, invisible to those inside. Then I really turned it on. I told him he was going to show me just how sorry he was. I was going to make him work for his apology. I spoke to him with the same words he used to speak to me when we were in bed together. I told him what I wanted, and I made him do it. It really was quite naughty of me, don't you think? We didn't get back together. I was too hurt. And at the time, he was too broken. I'm glad we spoke. And perhaps the sex was cathartic as well. It was fun at least.
You've been listening to the Kinky Conversations podcast.